Welcome to the Type Slay podcast, the show that is for women by women. Type Slay is meant for any woman who is looking to unlock their potential, needs motivation, or is just looking to find a community of like-minded Type Slay women. I'm Jane Dufresne. And I'm Carly Bell. Today on the Type Slay podcast, we get to interview the one and only Cheryl Shanahan, who will share about her extraordinary life and how she pivoted away from construction business development to being a full-time artist. Cheryl lives her most authentic layered life and through our conversation, shares her journey to becoming comfortable in her own unique skin, how she exudes such self-confidence, and how she found and knows her own self-worth. Hello and welcome to the Type Slay podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Cheryl Shanahan, with us, and we're going to ask her all about her career journey. And it could take twists and turns, and that's the way we like it. That's right. Cheryl, welcome. We're so glad to have you. Thanks for having me, and congratulations on a successful launch, ladies. Thank you so much. So I'm going to start off with the first question. Um, you have had a very impressive career. Lots of things you've done. Oh, your resume is chock full. Can you give the listeners a high-level overview of what you've been doing for the last 10 years? Absolutely. And I'll, I'll preface it by saying when my parents were alive, they didn't understand it. I think it's a generational gap to some extent where... Perhaps our parents, um, I'm Gen X, worked uh, in one career or one industry for a very, very long time. I know, Jane. I'm an old soul. <laughs> I know, I know, and, and, and I love that. Um, but I made, I made a lot of moves, and I made a lot of moves throughout my career just to keep aligned with my authentic self. That's um, great. It took a lot of twists and turns, high-level uh, background in primarily marketing and business development for gourmet food, wine art and travel. Divorce led me to where my other divorced friends at the time went, which uh, was the Verizon Yellow yeah. Pages, which <laughs> when I started working there in, oh gosh, uh, 2007 or so, it, it was still a four and a half billion dollar a year industry. And I got assigned to the team that worked only with the delinquent accounts. And oh, so if you ever like think that you're ever in a horrible, horrible job, just think that you could, you know, be stuck on a predictive dialer trying to shake down people for money. Or better yet, being assigned to cover the state. Oh gosh, what is it? It's March now. So if we were Yellow Pages and uh, this time of year, I would be working both Northern Virginia and the Danville market, the mill town with oh no mill, God. because all of the 26 books that my, the company published were on different deadlines. And so it's just a lot of road time, um, getting involved with a lot of people who, for whatever reason, owed my company money. It could have been you know, a couple grand, it could have been $100,000. So it was my job to go in to find out, hey, how did we get here? And what are we gonna do about it? And at the end of the day, if I could either make their problem go away in full because of fraud, you know, right. let's just say you were a teammate and you were about to get written up or put on a performance improvement plan because you didn't have enough new business and you were forging accounts. Well, you know, sometimes I could make things go away fully. Or sometimes the left hand just didn't tell the right hand, you know, you you know, you were the business owner and you missed a deadline and the old logo went in or whatever. So I would just get in and, and figure out what the the underlying problem was, B, 
be that client's advocate. And, and sometimes there were just heartbreaking stories. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe you were the wife of, uh, you know, a single, uh, you know, an auto body repair man. And perhaps he'd been out for back surgery and maybe he got hooked on painkillers and then maybe all of a sudden you had to leave him because you weren't, you know, I mean, just, I would hear the craziest, craziest stories. Um, Or maybe you were an HVAC repairman and we got your logo wrong or you were in the wrong heading or something. And, you know, you, you know, the husband was out in the field, but maybe I had to meet the wife who worked at home. And, you know, next thing you know, you're being taken into the home office and there's a four foot alligator in the tank or maybe it's book clothes. Wait, maybe who is this? Where are you Oh, these are yellow pages. (laughs) I'm the collection team of yellow pages. And how long were you there for? Oh gosh. I was there for just about four years. Mm-hmm. So so it came in in 2007. I left in 2010. Mm-hmm. So it was in the middle of the recession at mm-hmm. that point. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so I transitioned into construction because a very large construction network that was headquartered in New York but had a, a national footprint uh, approached me because they'd heard about the work that I had done with Yellow Pages. And they pitched to me was they were underselling what it was um with the recession going on in construction there wasn't a lot of work and so i was told you know people are upset they don't have any money and i'm like i'm already dealing with Uh upset people who don't have money who are threatening me with alligators (laughs) and inviting me down to you know close business you know by you know sunset in a swamp so like you're not gonna scare me uh what did scare me about it a little bit was yellow pages we worked with every single industry known to man it was a hundred-year-old business. There was a lot of research. Uh, we had structured sales training. Uh, they gave us a lot of support to be able to go out and help small to medium-sized business owners who were basically were advertising for profit, prestige, or protection. Mm-hmm. Um, not to give you the whole spiel, but that's what they were doing. And so, th- so the construction network that approached me had a similar model. Um, and the perk of it was I could cover just a third of the state instead of the whole state. And, and I did a fair amount of research and knew that even in 2010, people weren't waving. They were drowning. I mean, there was no business at all, but I knew everything was cyclical and it was an opportunity for me to get in and learn a whole new industry because I wanted to hang with whoever was standing on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Now, in all this, uh, Yellow Pages was so crazy. Uh, it was so spreadsheet and metrics driven and nothing was my own i started lucky ginger studio then right. which was my line of stationery and gift items based on images that i took i've been doing photography since i was a kid and i started that i had the courage to do it because i had worked for a small manufacturer um, i had worked retail i mean i've done a million different things and so it was just like all right i, I know understand design, I understand production, um, I understand how to price things and get things out. And um, and it was just nice to be able to come home at the end of the day and be able to have something that was just mine. Where did you come up with the name Lucky Ginger? Well, there are two different versions and I'll just tell you the only one that I'll publicly share. <laughs> so <laughs> um, when I was in an art contest when I was five, I... I won, and I won a big, huge stuffed dog that was as tall as I was, and I named him Lucky. And Ginger was the name of my first golden retriever. Okay. Aww. And it wasn't until we went away to 
I went away to college that we figured out why I was always sick. It's oh. because I'm allergic. Oh, to, that's that's an, another podcast. We have I have a golden retriever named Jax. I don't know if you've seen him, but I'll oh. have to show you a picture. They're the, He's they're the best. Adorable. They're the <laughs> they're absolutely the best. So so um, I'm childless by choice, and so I've I've always joked that my creative productions are my kids. I mm-hmm. just nail them to the wall and I sell them. <laughs> uh, so uh, so the studio was just a way for me to live a layered life. I could give everything I could to shaking down people who, for whatever reason, owed Yellow Pages a lot of money. I mean, it was just soul-sucking. Oh, my gosh. But I could control. I could make pretty things yep. on my own timetable and grew it to the point where I had three reps, really only one of whom was effective. Um, but it was interesting, too. Um, we can get back to that when we talk more mm-hmm. art things. But um, anyway, so so the construction network, when they approached me, nothing was going on so much in construction, but that was a benefit to someone like me because everyone, and my clients were primarily subcontractors. They had time. They had time to teach me how to read blueprints. They had time to tell the stories. And what I love about construction is when things go great, you get a story. And when things go bad, you get a story. And marketing is all about telling stories. And 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 my job was to help connect the right people to the right project at the right time and help them keep a shine on the Sterling Loom reputation. And so was this a B2B or a B2C? It was B2B. Okay. It, all of my sales experience, except for some of my side hustles, mm-hmm. I mean, have been B2B. Mm-hmm. So these generally were the plumbers, the roofers. They could go in to a portal we gave them and they could see what projects were coming up in their area and throw their hat in the ring if they wanted to. And then I always sold myself as like the third front because I was not tied to a desk, a normal day for me. I'd be in the car 100 to 300 miles. Most people who work in construction on the contractor side are either, you know, they're laser focused, um, they're an arm's reach away from their phone. Every time that rings, it's nothing but a question or a problem. And sometimes they can't see past the end of their pickup truck. And it's not right or it's wrong. It's just how it is. So because I could float and because I'm good at pattern recognition, I'm good at the marketing piece, I'm good at making introductions, it wasn't hard for me to help move the needle to some of them. You know, listening to a prior guest of yours, Meryl Gerstemeyer, mm-hmm. who was on, and she talked at length about, well, not like, but, but how engineers generally didn't want to get out there and make the connections. Mm-hmm. I think the true can be said for other people in other trades for other reasons. Sometimes they just assume that the phone's going to keep ringing or they don't have the personality or the interest or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that was that was it. So the first few years, I, I mean, I didn't know my EFIS from my elbow, but that was okay because I come to I come to things with a learn it all, not a know it all perspective. Mm-hmm. And in construction in particular, no one smells BS faster than people who have been in it. So I knew early on it wasn't going to help me in any way to pretend like, oh yeah, I know, you know, like like right. like I was I got to a point where I could be comfortable saying I didn't know what I didn't know. Tell me more. Tell me why this is important to you or whatever. And I learned a whole lot about how to put a building together and how people work together and um, and it got to a point where it was consuming enough that ultimately I 
I wound down the studio part because I needed to devote to that. So do you two know each other from the construction side? Mm -hmm. We do. That's how we met. We do. Yeah. So Jane, I remember, I remember when you hosted, there was, there was, uh, there was a prominent commercial real estate networking group. Um, They hand out real estate awards. Jane hosted the awards one year. And then the very next moment, there's another group that has a commercial coffee. And that commercial coffee was out at Stone Brewing. And you came in and you had like, I think it was a green dress. And I was like, and anyway, so I just went over to you. Like, like I knew who Jane was. Mm-hmm. And Jane, Jane knows her shit. I think yep. I can say that on here. And so. Well, if you take the same class for 30 years, <laughs> you kind of want to say that you might have learned it by then. So. Right, right. Jane knew everything. And so I just, I, I, I just went up to her and, and congratulated her on slaying it as the MC. I don't know if you remember this at all. No, I remember it. I, re- I was just talking on the earlier episode about public speaking yeah. and how that actually, that event, I didn't feel as prepared as I should have been. You did great. Thank you for saying you that. You always do great. Well, um, here's the thing. Well, yeah, right. So anyway, so that that's 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 how but we I, connected. I think when we talked to Meryl, she said that information is the currency. And you yeah. always knew oh, yeah. everything that was going on uh-huh. before anyone else knew it. Like yeah. that was, Cheryl Shanahan is known for knowing everything about what's going on well and i'll attribute that to a couple of things first of all pattern recognition so there and, and meryl talked oh and and for your listeners first of all i would urge you to give these women a like on apple <laughs> or spotify drop them a comment because honestly they they are giving good content and this is how other people find them and second of all go binge listen to everything because like what you will see that there are trends and themes that run. And mm-hmm. so you might be listening to me today, but you got to go back and listen to the Meryl mm-hmm. Gerstenmeyer, which was great. <laughs> Thanks, Meryl. So anyway, so yes, you have to, um, so there's pattern recognition. Meryl talked about teams. So where you have an owner and the architects and, and you know, so there, there are sometimes there are certain patterns here in town I'm not you know there are some <laughs> yes that, but so is that something that can be taught or is that kind of a skill you know this pattern recognition is that something that can be taught I think that's a, it's that an eight it's an eight it's an eight um and then um also doing your homework prepping and and I'll, I'll that can be taught mm-hmm. I learned a lot of that from yellow pages oh gosh we couldn't go out on a call until we had researched the industry and found out people's pain points, mm-hmm. new, you know, billing cycle, what all the, th- like we, we really were not encouraged just to walk in cold. Like you mm-hmm. needed to know some things and, and I'm a lifelong, listen, <laughs> lifelong researcher. I'm such a, I'm such a nerd. I'm just a born curious, learn it all sponge. And uh, the other thing that I did a lot growing up was journaling and writing. And there's something about reading and that the, and mind connection that mm-hmm. just cements it. Um, I think most type slay people are goal driven, yes, like our to... self worth is, you know, how do we know? But but I, I take some of these, I know we'll, we'll talk about some of what I'm doing now, but, but a habit that I started was at the end of the day, like a lot of people have to-do lists, I started creating done lists. So I could see how I had moved the needle. Mm-hmm. Did I pick up a new contact? Did I 
find out something new. And uh, so I could go back and feel like I had been effective. <laughs> well, I think that's so important because we get so caught up in the hustle culture and the do more and the to-do list that's never ending. And I feel like it's such a good practice to kind of look at all that you've accomplished because it's just so easy to check it off and just move on to the next thing without really appreciating mm -hmm. what you've done. Oh, 100%. Like you just, if you're driven by your to-do list, to your point, the to-do list never gets done. Um, I call, <laughs> ladies, when you get to a certain age, you may enjoy what I like to call segmented sleep. And so sometimes the gerbil wheel will start going generally between 2 and 4.30 in the morning. When you, when you need, when you need that beauty sleep, when you need that REM, when you just need to restore and recharge so you can slay the day and not need toothpicks to hold up your, your eyelids, you know, the next day. Um, and I found that the more I focused on my to-do list, the more it was keeping me up at night. What didn't I do? What didn't I do? And so I had to learn how to shut that off to some extent and compartmentalize. You can drive yourself nuts mm -hmm. and it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. It never all gets done. Ladies, it never all gets done. It's never all going to get done and that's okay. Mm -hmm. let's, let's jump back a little bit to when you left, because you have a whole new career path now here yes. in present day 2023. Yes. So how did you go from construction to where you are today? Okay, so where I am today is I'm a full-time artist. Um, where this came about was um, in 2020, I wanted to learn how to paint. Um, so I've always had high-pressure jobs. I try to not get my soul sucked out entirely by living what I call a layered life. And a layered life means that self-care is important. Um, so there's a lot of napping and pedicures, um, but it also means that pursuits, passion projects outside of what's demanded of you at work are given space and funds so they can flourish. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you get your Sunday scaries or whatever, you can tamp them down somewhat because you've done something just for you that just amuses you and whatever. And I grew up in a family that had many amateur artists um, and writers and photographers and painters. So I, I grew up in a house that had original art and, and it was both sides of the family. So I've spent, you know, at the time, I, I mean, it was, you know, 52 when I started taking classes, um, you know, had half a century's experience of looking at other people's work. And I thought, you know, I was just curious, like how, how can I, how can I do this? So, um, so flash forward to, January 1 of 2020, the very first email that I got was actually from my gynecologist who's like, yeah, you're 100% in menopause. And then the second <laughs> thing I did. Happy New Year. Oh, oh I know. What a way. Well, I mean, if, if there couldn't have been a more uh, fitting way for 2020 to have started. Sister, I'm there with you. 2020, January 1st of 2020, I was in bed sick as a dog with the flu. Well, or with the flu, okay? Right. And I was. I remember looking at Evan and saying, if this is any indication of how this year is going to go, man. And little <laughs> did we know. Yeah. Right, right, right. So, so, but I had, um, so I, I knew it was time to start. So I, I, <laughs> while I was digesting that I was entering my crone phase, I, I just sat in bed and, and Googled to see 
who was offering art classes nearby me, and I found a local instructor who was teaching at Crossroads. So I sent her an email. She responded back, said she had one spot left. Ooh, perfect. And that was it. And so I I started, I mean, I, I didn't know anything, but I'm so glad that I came to painting late because I'm at a point in my life where I am not letting my perfectionist tendencies take the fun out of things. And I could go into it knowing I didn't have to be an expert and that it was okay if I was going to make some bad art. Because, like, I just didn't know what I didn't know. And I, for the first time in my life, was really comfortable in that. Like, I just wanted to have fun. Let me, let me just go I'm so paint. impressed by this because I have always thought that being an artist was, like, something that you were, like, born with. And, like, not something that I can just, like, pick up and learn how to paint really beautifully. I So, well... Cheryl is very talented. I would say it's almost um, awe-inspiring to look at your art and think this only been going on for three years. Oh, I had eight it's, lessons before lockdown. I mean, it's... That was it. But I also think the other thing that's fascinating to think about is like, this wasn't something that you had been pursuing on the side all these years, right? Like this was no. something that you jumped in with. And just think how much of a missed opportunity it would have been for the world to miss out on your art if you hadn't taken... That so jump. let me share a couple other things. So are you born with it? Sometimes, yes. So for example, I taught myself how to read music at age four. We had a piano in the house. Uh, some of my mom's early instructional books were there. I found where middle C was on my own. And then her intro books were easy enough that I just taught, I mean, I taught myself how to read too. I mean, mm-hmm. so, so some of it was just like, okay, I can figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... I I don't know what to say. It's I needed to have every experience along the way to be able to know that I could get to the painting. So photography was a big portion of that. So so much of a visual art piece is driven by composition and the values, you know, do we have contrast our brain needs to be able to see the darks and the lights to be able to see form? Color gets all the glory, but at the end of the day, it's really values that do the heavy lifting. And because I had photographed since I was a teenager, I did a ton of work in black and white. I was already thinking in terms of values and composition anyway. And then I think my experience with, I mean, a couple different companies that did manufacturing and then certainly working with the studio, you know, my own photographic images, I kind of understood how to connect with people or get people to relate to buy. So it wasn't, you know, so just, it was the mechanics of, of that. I don't know. I was just willing well, to go see where it could go. It's kind of funny because in hindsight, it's kind of like there's like these cues in your life, like kind of like the, of the creative arts kind of leading you to this path, you know, like the photography, even the piano, you know, is a, is a creative art. Then the photography, then, you know, Lucky Ginger. So mm-hmm. in hindsight, it's kind of like these, you know, the universe kind of nudging you along oh, this path. 100%. They're all building blocks. And even, you know, the good things that happen to you life and the bad things that happen to you generally are all building blocks. And that staircase or the ramp to success isn't apparent until you're, you know, at the top of the stairs or you're further down the path. Like, I had no idea. But in preparing for this conversation, I could look back and take a retrospective and see where what seemed to be unrelated things were actually the reason for the quick start. Well, let's also talk about some other things too. I came to painting 
with a teacher who explained things in a way to me that were encouraging and I kind of hit the ground running. I work from reference photos. You know, some people paint still lives or they'll go outside and paint plain air. To date, the majority of what I'm doing, I'm painting from reference photos. So, I mean, I have a huge archive of different subject matter to try. I picked this up during COVID at an age where my peers were also generally in their 40s, 50s, or 60s, stuck at home, unable to travel, staring at their walls, and they wanted to put something on it. So it all kind of hit at exactly the right time. And, I, and I, I play in an industry, designers are so visual anyway. Like I just, I don't, I'm glad I didn't find this out in my 20s. Like, like you know, the stereotypical broke, <laughs> you know, out of work. <laughs> starving artist. Starving artist. That's mm-hmm. not the case at at all. Now, you know, this is, am I making a living off of this? No, but I also came to this where I didn't have to. Well, the, so that was going to be one of my questions. When you pursued this, yes. um, was the vision for this to be a hobby or were you looking for this to be a career path at the time? Well, when I first started a hobby and I wanted it to be self-sustaining, uh, by that I mean, you know, pain's not cheap. You know, could I sell enough commissions? And and when I look at my revenue, 40% of my work is commission, 60% is sales from people who saw something that is complete and they've done it and it resonated. Is that the right mix? Time will tell. I, I don't was going to ask you, what is the right mix? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm so new into this. And honestly, I'm still trying to figure out what's going on. And, and there, were, there were hiccups. I mean, so I started this in 2020. And then in 2021, well, at the end of 2020, my mom found out that she was, she was, she had stage four cancer. Yeah. Uh, you know, COVID, it wasn't COVID related, but she, uh, the TV said stay home. And that woman bled all year because oh. she was afraid to go out. And so by the time she was comfortable enough to get somewhere, she was diagnosed with stage four endometrial cancer. Mm-hmm. And because she was just so freaked out, and she she lived up in New Hampshire, so I was I was trying to manage this from eleven hours away. Uh, that woman drove herself to twenty four of twenty six radiation treatments, mm. and uh, it was, you know, just a hope. As she said to me, um, she wasn't a surgical candidate, and she didn't want to go down the chemo route. But she also said that she wasn't ready to go see my father yet. He had <laughs> passed away in two thousand nine. And so, yeah, we tried, she tried the radiation, and then um, we hoped that that would solve things for, you know, give her some more time. But April of 2021, she was having some trouble breathing, and we found out that things, it had progressed to her heart and lungs. And uh, she asked me to come up for end-of-life care to help her with that, and she died on Memorial Day. So, Cheryl... Can you also help paint a picture for our audience, paint a picture, no pun intended, <laughs> for our audience here while this is all going on, while, you're, while your mother is going on this journey and you're helping her and you're, you know, exploring um, your artistic side, are you also working full-time still for I was the also working company? full-time. And, and here's the thing. So, so after I left the, um, it's not so much that I left the network. I was asked to leave. Uh, <laughs> let's be clear. 
<laughs> um, but that was fine because I, I could see the writing on the wall. And and at the time, I got shoved down the greasy chute, which was actually two days after my 50th birthday in the middle of a riding lesson while I was drinking Prosecco on oh, my no. lunch break. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like right before Thanksgiving. That was fine. I was already in negotiation with other people. And at the time, I was in talks with a couple different general contracting firms and ended up choosing one over the other initially because they had more than 50 employees and I knew that if something happened to my mom, I could take advantage of FMLA. Mm -hmm. So -hmm. for those of your viewers who are either in the sandwich generation or as I you know, childless by choice call myself the open face sandwich generation because <laughs> I don't have kids. Um, you will get to a point where you may have to be involved with a parent's care. So my my dad's prostate cancer turned into bone cancer while I was at Yellow Pages. But because it was so large, I could go out on FMLA and no one no one missed me. I mean, mm-hmm. my, my account break just got reassigned to other teammates who could go around the state and shake down people and get threatened by their own alligators and so when the time came for me to find a new home after the network and i was trying to find i knew i wanted to stay in construction um it was time to get onto the gc side like i could do the same you know find out what was coming but just help one gc instead of helping everybody so you were business development i was business development and marketing and um and i i initially chose the first general contractor because i knew if something happened then I could take advantage of FMLA and go give mom what she needed. Mm-hmm. And in the end, um, as I sometimes do, I made the wrong choice. And fortunately, the smaller general contractor said, if it doesn't work out, I'll leave the door mm-hmm. open. And that man said, when the time comes, if you need to go help your mom, I will support you in any way possible. Mm-hmm. And he kept his word. Mm-hmm. So I... So, and honestly, are you painting as a hobby, as a pastime? Girl? I was. Well, I, I tried to. I tried. Um, I completed five paintings that year. I just, mm-hmm. I just, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. Um, because she, she just needed mm-hmm. me, and so that that drive, the flow, wasn't there. Um, but I was, I was okay with that. Um, and then when she passed, honestly, she she was my last immediate family member. So 100% of my immediate family, my brother, my father, and my mom are buried in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And so that was really a pivotal moment for me. Um, so I she passed Memorial Day. I ended up staying in New Hampshire until September. I had to settle her affairs. So 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 when mom passed, that was my last immediate family member and so I the word that came to mind that still comes to mind because I have another friend who's in that situation he is now fresh out of parents I felt untethered I felt untethered um and not that I was feeling time tapping me on the shoulder but it was just a reminder that life is so short like when my my brother my brother died in a car accident when he was 16 and I was 18 mm. and that was the first wake up I mean it, it's it's horrible so horrible but so much good came out of it in a way because i could see my parents living their truth which was why not us because the reality is we all are going to go through horrible things at some time and then it also 
really pushed us to realize that you're not promised tomorrow, Mm -hmm. much less today. And so if there is something that you want to say to someone, like you care about them or you're glad that you know them, you need to do that. Or if there's something that's on your bucket list, like you need to do what you can Mm -hmm. to get it done because you can have that just snatched away from you in the blink of an eye like like we did. So when um yeah, I buried mom and put her <laughs> to rest and then spent the rest of the summer fighting with, you know, assorted credit card companies and whatnot trying to settle the, you know, do the business of it. And so the man that I worked for was very accommodating. I worked half days that summer. I would give him and the business as much of me as I could in the middle of all of that swirl in the mornings and then afternoons I would do what I needed to do to button down the estate I came back after Labor Day because that's what the business cycle required and I was happy to do it that was the right thing but I wasn't I wasn't ready I really wasn't ready and I everything was opening back up the fall of 2021 networking in person started again and I remember going back to my very first networking event and sitting in the car feeling something that I hadn't felt in 18 months, which was my social anxiety that no one knows that I have, and found myself sitting in a parking lot, checking my phone, checking my email, seeing if, you know, like, is there going to be another good song that comes on the radio? Like, doing anything that I could to stall to not get in because I just didn't care and I just didn't want to go talk to anybody. Like, I didn't. Because I'd just been through some really major life stuff Mm -hmm. and... I just wasn't ready to get back on the small talk circuit. I just wasn't. Um, And then the following month, the man that I worked for and I sat down and he asked, you know, legitimate questions. He wanted to know, you know, what I thought the five-year plan for the business looked like, which in any other circumstance I would have been happy to do and I would have had spreadsheets and a slide deck and everything because that's kind of how my brain works. Like, I like working for idea volcanoes who give me free reign. I know where we are. I know where we're going to go. And then instead of being really excited, I burst into tears. Mm-hmm. And I said, I can't do this. We got to make another arrangement. And um, was yeah. Your, was your cup just empty? Yes. A hundred percent. It was. And I think there are a lot of people I have observed in this business who don't know when they need to push back from the table. Mm-hmm. And that man that I work for, I wouldn't work for anybody else. And he deserves someone that not only had the skill and the will, but still had the drive and, yeah. and was willing to flex their hustle muscle. Yeah, the passion. I was just done. And and I mean, I know I've joked to you. Uh, the worst place I can be is not caring. You know, houses, habits, hobbies, husbands. I've left them all. Like if I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> And and Scorpio. you don't want that. Scorpio. 100% Scorpio. <laughs> don't worry. We won't hurt you, Carly. I'm a sweet little innocent cancer over here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um. That. Houses, husbands, I've left them all. Have you read the book, uh, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo? No. You should read that. I'm the worst red English reader. Is that about me? <laughs> so, yeah. So, no. So, I, so I recognized that I was done. And uh, the man that I worked for received it well, and we put out an APB, and we just started doing the search, and and then I knew it was time for me to 
step into my power and go down a hallway and not know where it was going to lead. And and I can do it because I don't have to succeed at this fiscally, which is a nice thing. Like like we constantly play the game of uh, fiscal conservatism and we're comfortable. And so I can just do this because I love it. And what I'm doing differently about this than I did with the studio, with the photography is I'm just going down the rabbit halls where ideas firmly resonate. Like I'm making art for me. If people get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. With the studio, at the height of it, I had three reps, one of whom was effective. Uh, she worked the Southeast market and she was full of great ideas. And at the end of it, I found that I was designing a lot of things that she could, which which was fine, like revenue came in. But at the end of the day, I was doing a lot of things. And I'm like, if I see one more alligator, I mean, she was, she was based mm -hmm. out of Charleston. Mm -hmm. And a lot of accounts in Savannah. Like, if I could throw Spanish moss and alligators on oh, stuff. We, 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 I we, love that area. You oh, can throw some Spanish girl, moss on a painting listen, for me. <laughs> listen, I can hook you up with that. Um, so, two things that I wanted to mention that you just said. So, coming from a place where, like, you are just, you know, energy is just depleted and your cup is empty. I imagine that art was really kind of almost like a lifeline of just, like, creative energy that you probably really needed at that point yes yes so it art was good because i could control it actually and again coming to art during covid was as good as me starting photography when i was working for yellow pages there were two situations that were similar because the days were filled full of things i couldn't control Mm -hmm. So art was a way I could control things and just mm. do what resonated with me. Mm -hmm. um, in a way, it's it's probably, there's a parallel with piano as well, too. My mom, I was raised by people who were amazing at many things, but not so great at expressing feelings or encouraging verbalization of feelings so my mom <laughs> said not long before she died she could always tell what kind of day i'd had at school by the way i came home and would practice piano hmm. you know, uh, you it's, know. A, it's a form of self-expression <laughs> it is a self right and and if i could say it in words i wouldn't have to mm -hmm. garden or bake chocolate chip cookies or paint or play piano mm -hmm. or do anything like that mm -hmm. which is ironic because i write but but verbally it's it's hard in a way in a way construction was very very good for me because it taught me how to be confrontational in a constructive way um which is not <laughs> how we, anything we didn't learn those skills oh, growing up no the, the x generation we no, no no feelings tamp it down Stop crying. Look, I eat my feelings. Yeah. It's all, everything is, is, um, for those of you who can't see, I'm built for comfort, not for speed. I came in the Abadanza model. Um, the armor of God is heavy. So it's, um, yeah, no, just tamp it down. Um, you know, like Queen Elizabeth, never complain, never explain, that kind of thing. Keep right. it polite. Don't talk about sex, politics, money, none of that. But you practice a lot of piano and your mother could tell. Oh, yeah, emotionally how it is. Yeah. And then maybe with the art, sometimes you can see, you know, right. some crazy stuff coming out so there too. So right. you had mentioned, and I don't know if this is too personal, and if it is, tell me and we'll edit this out. 
But something that I really latched on here about that you mentioned was like you you were able to walk away from that position and pursue art without having to be worried about money. Yes. And so I think so that is definitely something that's that's unique, I would say, because a lot of people do not have the kind of luxury of being able to just leave something and jump in head first without having to worry about money. So can you talk about that a little I would bit? love to talk about that uh, because women need to understand a, many things. Many, many things. Because that can be one of the biggest things that keeps people from jumping from something like that to pursuing something that they're really passionate about. Or it keeps them stuck in a dead-end yes. relationship or a toxic work environment. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you how this started. All right. So, take notes, everybody. Okay. <laughs> Pencils up. So I was raised... By parents who taught me a lot about money. Um, first of all, my parents lived within their means. My parents were people who would rather do things and have things. But I say that we we wanted for nothing. But there there it wasn't necessarily an extravagant existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother and I were expected to help with chores i was 13 when my mom was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis i would come home from school she'd be flat out on the couch couldn't help her do anything and so we'd, we'd always helped with chores but much more was asked of us when that happened and she was really kind of incapacitated i mean this was so long ago that they thought the solution was to give uh inject gold into your buttocks like they thought that that would cure oh yeah oh oh my dad would joke about my mom's gold butt all the time Oh, it was crazy. Do you know what this is, Jane? I don't know that. You're not injecting gold? Is that a beauty? I would like to inject gold uh, into my face. It didn't help with her arthritis at all. Um, oh. It, no, it didn't. But um, but um, anyway, so we were paid for chores. Um, I have a vivid memory of my father coming home from a business trip and being uh, giving my brother and me piggy banks. Um, so we were always taught to set some aside for later. I had a paper route when I was 14. Same thing. I remember going down to the bank back when you had passbooks and the lady would type in you know, your, your balance. Um, my parents were really good about teaching us how to differentiate wants from needs. Mom always hammered home, you can't buy the big things if you keep buying the little things. Um, my first marriage, I had a 14-year starter marriage. I lost control of the checkbook a few years into it. And so when I I was the dumper, so when I dumped him and moved out, I just wanted to figure out where was all the money going because I mean, we all of my money was oh gosh, direct deposit and and I had to go to the bank of mom and dad to get the retainer for my oh. lawyer. I had to go work at Total Wine as my side hustle to be able to pay my attorney off, which I was happy to do. I mean, there's absolutely Ladies, there's no shame in hard work. And, and for much of my career, I've, I have worked more than one job to achieve my financial goal. Jane, when was your first job? I was four, I had to have a worker's permit Me when too. I started. So I mucked stalls um, at our horse riding place so that we could afford the lessons. But I also was a 15-year-old working at Roy Rogers at the window because I could count back. <laughs> hey! Um, we didn't have computers back then. There's something. And I wore my little neckerchief. Oh my gosh. My mom would have to come and get me with the windows rolled down because I stunk so badly. Like fried food. I need photo proof. We can throw that up on Instagram. Roy Rogers. Never gets (laughs) off of you. But, but, um, so anyway, so, so financial 
freedom is important. So so what I so when I was in high school, my piano teacher went through a divorce. This was back in the mid eighties, and she came across an article that said generally women who find themselves out on their own again after you know the dissolution of a marriage, it takes an average of seven years to get back to financial parity. And that always stuck in the back of my brain. And as I look back on it, I've since remarried or whatever, but it has to a wonderful man. It's not just a whatever, uh, (laughs) but it, he's great. Uh, But it took me about seven years to get back to where I was. And, and I, I, I'll say two things. So one, I know who Dave Ramsey is. He's a man who gives a lot of financial advice. I've got some people who are really, really all up in and know all the ins and outs of everything. But I think his overall positives start small, you know, just set a little bit aside for an emergency. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's 500 or you try to get to 1,000 and then you pay off your debt. Well, I we didn't have any debt, so it became more of a game for me to minimize our fiscal footprint. Again, it's not what you earn, it's what you save. Um, I've invested since I was 18. Two of my favorite words are compound interest. So, you know, again, save early and often, invest, diversify, do all of those things. But um, when it got to a point where we, and my husband and I both were really secure in our jobs, then the game of how do we minimize our fiscal footprint really, really, really became like, how little can we spend, (laughs) you know? uh, And what we were able to do was save up close to two years worth of like living expenses. So if anyone was in danger of getting laid off, you know, which is why, again, when I got laid off, you know, riding a horse during my lunch break, you know, two days after my 50th birthday, I didn't care. I didn't care. Like it wasn't as scary as uh, 2006 when I had worked for a startup. So I'm reading this book right now. And this guy, I think, references this as F.U. money. Yes. To be able to walk away and be like, F, you know. Well, so many people, I, I mean, are hostage. I mean, if you think about the gauntlet of everything, um, well, also, I'm, I'm childless by choice. So, so we, we can touch on as much or little of this as you want. But, you know, to, to have a child and raise it and give it all that it needs from zero to 18 it's probably going to set you back three to four hundred thousand dollars. So, so when Ooh. I so when I retired last year, a number of people came up and it's like, "How many kids do you have? Okay, you've got three. Okay, I've got a one point two million dollar head start on you because I didn't invest in children, mm-hmm. you know. And and um, and I've got reasons for that. But my idea is there are two types of people: the happy and the unhappy. The happy want the kids and have the kids or don't want the kids and don't have the kids. Mm-hmm. And then the unhappy are the ones who really, really want the children and can't have them. Mm-hmm. And I know IVF and everything is so crazy expensive now. I mean, I'm, I'm adopted. My parents saved the receipt. It was 125 bucks to get the court costs done in 1967. That was it, um, to get me through the agency. Um, Wait, you were adopted? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yes. I know I was wanted. Aww. by my parents yeah and I didn't know until my 40s that my mom had endometriosis um, so yeah so I mean that's a whole nature nurture mm-hmm. thing but yeah my dad and my mom really really wanted kids they weren't able to conceive I didn't know until you know late in life yeah and um, ironically my mom they knew about when I was due because I was they had gone through an agency and uh, mom had to go to her gynecologist and she remembers seeing a heavily pregnant woman who looks much like I do. So in her head, 
that's always who it was. Mm-hmm. And I'm a Scorpio, so if you back up my mm-hmm. birthday, in my head, I was just probably somebody's Valentine's. Whoops! Aww. Back in 1967. <laughs> Because if you go clock forward nine months, that's, you know, like really lines up. And Valentine's Day, I think it was on a Saturday that year. So I'm like totally like somebody's backseat, whatever, you know, (laughs) but that's okay. I was conceived in love and, and I'm always grateful to the woman who chose to give me up because something told her she couldn't provide me Mm -hmm. with the life that I needed. And I believe lots of different things. Yes, I'm a woman in faith, but there's a lot of faith, but there's a lot of woo woo out there. Um, I think a lot of decisions are made when we come forth and we choose our family. And so for the ones who are like, don't you want to know? I don't want to know. I ended up exactly where I needed yeah. to be. And honestly, my, my parents who raised me got the good, bad, and the ugly. And I'm not going to go back and just give someone like Grady, like, hey, here I am now. Right, Because I right. was such a bitch to my mom when I was a kid. Like, I just <laughs> can't <cannot. Scorpio. laughs> Scorpio. No, we well, said that on one of our episodes. We are like, sorry, moms. Oh, my gosh. And she was a Libra. And my brother, who is adopted, my, in fact, my very first memory is of him um, because he came from the same agency, too. We were not bio- mm. biologically related. but we, And I remember going up the stairs and looking in the crib, and my parents bringing him in the little car seat and and sitting in the back asking how long does he have to stay (laughs) and the answer was 16 years so that was it so (laughs) it was just yeah um I don't know any different um and again just very grateful for where I ended up because I I could have ended up anywhere and Mm -hmm. I ended up with a family that just saw that I had talent and interest and would Mm -hmm. support all of those things. So, I mean, I had to be where I was to be able to go through this path to get here. Mm-hmm. So going back to the financial freedom oh, yes. aspect too, any tips or pointers that you would want to tell our audience specifically about that? I am just now kind of, in my 20s, I was careless with my money. You know, even when I was working, when I was 14, 15 years old, like I was spending that paycheck just as fast as I got it, baby. And so I am like entering into the world of being very serious about our finances and really trying to save money, diversify my portfolio. Um, So for any of our listeners that's kind of in a similar position, what are some tips that you would recommend? First, if it's on your ass, it's not an asset. Like a pair of jeans. 100%. Okay. It's not. Or those Kim Kardashian underwears that I bought. (laughs) (laughs) So like I've always had a theory that if you get a bonus, you can spend 10% on it you know, 10% of it, but you put 90% in the bank to save. And that's just like a little tip that I've used, but it may not even be a good one. No, I think that's a fantastic one. But you talked about compound interest, starting early. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Having conversations, you know, finding a financial advisor that you're comfortable with and sharing what your goals are. I mean, so, so how did I decide to push back from the table and go down this art path? My dad retired at 55. My brother died. And then my dad got to the, okay, life's short, we're going to do whatever. And that made an impression on me. I have been working this plan for 30 years. Yeah, so you saw him and said, I want to retire at 55 and, I, and I'm going to do it. Well, and I did it at 54, to be honest. Yeah, so, so but it's having those conversations, um, putting even incremental amounts away helps because you'll get to a point where your money makes money. And you just have to find someone that you can share your goals and dreams with. 
I said earlier, I'll say it again, it's not what you earn, but it's what you, you set aside and you save. Um, we always play the game of how can we minimize our fiscal footprint? Like I, okay, first of all, is it coupons or coupons? <laughs> Coo. Exactly right. It's coupons. No, it's not. Carly, you're wrong. <laughs> Carly's wrong. Um, like I, I don't understand what those are. Um, I'm not good with that kind of stuff, but I will shop around for a value like yeah. you do with your, you know, your with your coat, yes, your white coat, absolutely. That I hate painful price, right? Um, it, but I, I keep a budget. Um, I've kept one ever since the dissolution of my first marriage, so we can go back 18 years. I can tell you where every single penny went, and so I can I do a budget with. Uh, you know, a forecast and an actual so I can see, oh, I'm spending a little too much on pedigree. You know, like there are ways that you can still treat yourself and keep yourself sane and looking mm-hmm. pretty and professional without breaking the bank and still achieving See, goals. the thing that I am really understanding, like here over the last year, is that nothing is by chance and that you have to have a plan like we've talked about on all these episodes, for every aspect. Like nothing is just, you're not going to lose the weight unless you're working, you know, a a strategic plan. You're not just going to, you know, save money and achieve financial freedom just by chance. And one of my, um, one of the influencers that I follow says, hope is not a strategy. Yeah, that's a good one. And I'm like, man, that is just so on point. When you're younger, so you know that there's endless possibilities. When you get to be Cheryl in my age, we, uh, we realize there's not the time factor isn't on our side. Correct. Although the best days are still ahead of us, I, I absolutely positively believe that. Yes. Um, but yeah, we don't have as much runway, so we have fewer times that the money can make money unless you know you do something mm-hmm. drastically wonderful, which I know that you will, Carly. <laughs> Thank you. Do you want to touch on confidence now? Yes. She was just. Yeah. This is. I've been waiting to ask you this question. <laughs> Um, let's talk about your sense of self-worth, an incredible amount of self-confidence that you exude. This is what I perceive of you, is that you're very together, you speak confidently, you know your shit, and that's what people know about you. And I, I would like for you to tell the listeners, how'd you get it, where'd it come from, and how do you sustain it? Mm-hmm. So the self-worth and the self-confidence is, it's a heady mix of a few different things. So as I said, I was adopted. I was bullied as a child uh, for a few different reasons, uh, mainly because um, in our, what I call the Sesame Street generation, you know, one of these things is not like the other. Well, being adopted, I, my dad was Norwegian and anyone who has seen me knows that I am not, clearly not Norwegian. Um, and um, you know, our, our family just didn't look together. So I would just, it, I stood out and and, um, I was adopted by straight haired people and there was no good hair product for curly haired girls in the 70s. And um, maybe I'll share with the listeners uh, some of my school photos. I mean, it was just, it was, it was just bad. So I just got picked on for the way that I looked, you know, my hair was curly and my lips were fat, although I don't need injectables now. You know, my boobs came in. I was like the first one in sixth grade to get, you know, so I was, I had to learn how to block out the haters and go within to find some level of self-acceptance and love and just, okay, this is the hand I've been dealt. Mm -hmm. How do I come to terms with that and love it and make it the best that I can? Uh, So we can only fix ourselves, you know, and in the minds of everybody else, 
around you. Everyone has a different version of what you are. And I think when we try to contort to please whatever version we think that they have of us, we can really exhaust ourselves or develop different personas or, or you know, have an overarching persona that you think, you know, it's the, it's the mask that you put on, that you think all your problems are gonna be solved and everything's gonna go your way if you, you know, just shape shift and do whatever. Um, a book that I read uh, that really changed my life was The Four Agreements um, by Don Miguel Ruiz. And uh, basically it boils down to, you know, don't gossip, you know, don't use the word against other people, always do your best, don't assume anything and don't take things personally. And when you realize that everybody on the planet is in their own little bubble doing their own little thing, like we care so much about mm -hmm. how we're perceived, but the reality is no one cares. No one cares. You think that they care. You think that they're taking notes or keeping score, but um, they really aren't. Uh, the asterisks would be um, social media. I am so glad that I didn't have it in my childhood. I think it causes a lot of anxiety in people, particularly younger ones who don't need anxiety on top of everything yeah, else too. Seriously. And that it foists a lot of benchmarking you know we we want to see how are we doing compared to everybody else and what i want to tell your listeners is it's not a race everything comes to you at the right time for you i feel like i need to be the queen of the late bloomers because i was not like i didn't find my people until i was you know at the tail end of high school um you know and it's all gonna unfold for you the way it's supposed to unfold for you and then when you learn how to follow your bliss or your joy, then everything else falls into place. And when you realize that if things aren't going your way, you know, once you realize your feet aren't nailed to the floor, mm -hmm. <laughs> you can pivot, particularly if you've got some kind of fiscal cushion or some kind of, um, you know, spiritual support, emotional support, whatever. Like you just gotta, I don't know. I've got a desire to live both the length and the width of my life. Um, I've learned how to curate things. I, I go through phases of what I call casting off the unnecessary. I think there is a lot of pressure for women to say yes to things all the time, whether yes. we're on charge of committees or we're heading up teams or we're you know heading up some new initiative. I love the saying: if it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. Right? You know, when somebody right. asks, right? Right. And, and it, it has for me. It became a, a discipline. Whether it's you know. Physically, like there was a time where my husband and I were living in a 1920s home that didn't have closets. And so my rule was for every one thing that came in, two things had to go out. And and that also needs to happen. You know, if you're going to say yes to joining a board, then you need to find something else that you can say, hey, I'm rotating off. Here's why. Because if you keep piling on and on and on. Then you get to a point where you really aren't getting any sleep because you're gerbil wheeling and then you're not able to, you know, follow your passion projects or do anything else and then you're a hot mess. Right. And no one wants to be around you. Right. Studies have shown. <laughs> that the sooner that you can kibosh any self-limiting beliefs, so like with the art, I just assumed I'd get it. You know, because I'd had other successes with other jobs or other hobbies or other things I just assume that at some point it's going to work out I know where I am I'll set some goals you know so I I I booked 
myself some group and solo shows before knowing what I would even produce for it. And I know. By- I think that's amazing. <laughs> I would nor- I would only paint. I'd only get in a show if I had all the paintings done. And Cheryl no. just signs up for the show. And then you start to work backwards 100%. in the timeline. Well, it gives you that deadline. I mean, yes. you know, you got a hard and fast But date. you also paint for philanthropic yes. entities. Absolutely, I do. I'll, I'll tell you why. For two different reasons. So one, it's a way for me to get the art out to people who don't know me. Yeah, because at this point, a lot of the people who have purchased the art or connected with me are people that I know. So it's a way to get art out in front of me. It's I call it the Lewis Comfort Tiffany model. So he was the stained glass Tiffany, not the jewelry mm-hmm. Tiffany, although they're the same family. Mm-hmm. And he would donate stained glass windows or the lamps or different things to the World's Fair or donate pieces to museums. And that's how he built his following. Okay. So just by getting it out there. Okay. And then it gives me an opportunity to try some different things. So for example... Right now, I'm really interested in value studies. Uh, So the painting that I donated to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, which I know you're involved with, Jane, is this beautiful black and white rendition of daisies. Like it was a photograph I did. Could I pull it off and make it look three dimensionals just using black and white paint? The answer was yes. And they were happy to have it. And that's how it goes. Uh, Dr. Baxter Perkinson, who uh, is well known in this area for his beautiful watercolors. I mean, that's all that he does. It's a gift. I mean, I really didn't know that I could paint. And so there's a part of me that feels like if it's a spark of the divine moving through me, I have to get it out and I feel compared. Like, is it a way of tithing my gift? Yes, I think so. Um, But just to get it out there and share. Well, a lot of people I see on Instagram are quote unquote painters and they're like doing squares and kind of abstract weird stuff. and, And it's like a... People are paying money for that crap. Mm-hmm. But you actually do fine art. It's so like blows me away that three years ago you said, I'm going to take a painting class. <laughs> and now you're producing fine art. Well, it was a multi-step thing. So one was sign up for the class. Like have the guts to sign up for the class. Uh, something that most people don't know. I graduated from the University of Richmond. I'm an English major. I don't dangle my participles. But I could have graduated <laughs> with a double major in art history. Why didn't I? Because there was one requirement. I had to take a studio art class. And my 20-year-old self was afraid because at that young age, I assumed I had to know everything. I was too scared to take the class. Right. Too scared. And and shame on me. I mean, that's just so dumb. But that's just how that happened. So, you know, just don't, you know, get rid of those self-limiting beliefs. Allow yourself to... Be a learner, not an expert. It's it, okay. It sounds like a lot of that comes with age and experiences, though. You know, because I look at myself now, and as much as I would have loved to have felt this the way that I feel about myself now in my 20s, I, it, it just was not fathomable for me at that time. Like, yeah, I, you know, like the loving yourself, the letting go of the self-limiting beliefs. It, I feel like a lot of it comes with experience, and it's kind of hard to achieve that otherwise. Some, again, back to the late bloomer thing. Sometimes you just have to go through what you what you go through. And the what's that saying? Your setbacks prepare you for your comeback. Like Sometimes you just have to, like, like I always felt like, in terms of my peers, I was always down the path first in terms of death, disease, divorce, and drama, like all this kind of stuff. And, and it, yes, experience leads to wisdom if you 
are accepting of the lesson that's being taught. I mean, you can have all kinds mm-hmm. of crazy experiences, not grow from it. You're just dumb and just you right. know, keep doing it over and over again. But, um, but you know, what's that saying? Was it Socrates? I know Madonna sang it in a song, but I think it's a Socratic quote. You know, the unexamined life is not worth living. You know, so looking back, knowing what resonates with you, where do you want to go, setting goals, um, you know, so, so that was kind of one of the questions we had to ask you is uh, what advice would you give a new entrepreneur or a person who wants to pivot and start something new or go down a new path? But I feel like you just sort of answered that with the plan. You have to work the plan. You kind of have to know what the plan is. And um, you, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. It couldn't have been because the concrete needed time to cure. <laughs> All right. And just realize that you can take baby steps to get there. But I think having a retrospective to see where you were. Because again, I couldn't paint at the level that I am unless I had worked retail, unless I had been a, a manufacturer's rep, unless I'd worked for a manufacturer, unless I had done product development, unless I had done marketing. Like, like all of these things just kind of came to a head and I put all the it was pattern recognition again. Just put all the little pieces again and believed in myself and know enough that I could. And, and was also, let's face it, in a position where if it didn't work out, that was fine. That was fine too. I'm doing it purely to satisfy me. Yeah. One of my favorite questions is to always ask, if you could go back and tell your younger self anything, what would it be? You're going to be so awesome later. Don't worry. I don't know if that question's on there. You might have no, to. No, that's a surprise one. Spitball that one. What would you tell the 20-year-old that didn't want to take the... Take the class. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> take the class. Just don't be afraid. Um, don't let your perfectionist tendencies prevent you from trying something new. Yeah. It's okay to suck at something new. I know that that's yes. a meme that goes around, but um, I, I don't know. I wrestled with a lot of perfectionist tendencies. It's part of the reason why I lost the joy in playing piano. Um, it upset my mom that I backed away from that, but I told her, I said, creativity can come out in so many other ways. I said, I'll go back to the bench, the piano bench when it calls me. But there's so many different routes. You, you know, you can cook, you can garden, you can. You and know. you love all that. You're a I great cook, and you are a great gardener. Thank you. So. I'm not a fiber artist, but you know, maybe someday I could be, or maybe this painting is going to lead to, you know, ceramics, and I can paint really cool things on. Like I don't know, but I'm okay with not knowing. And my 20 year old self wasn't comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. I think at the younger age, I felt like we had to go from A to B. Um, one of my dearest friends in life is very linear like that. And, and I have I've observed in, in a loving way that when things don't go, you know, because she only, there was only, generally there's only one way it can go. And then when it doesn't go, I just see how it rattles her. And I'm, the older I get, the more comfortable I am with being uncomfortable. Things mm-hmm. are going to constantly change. And once you submit and accept that, then things get easier. And see, I, I love that we're getting this message out here, Jane, and you know, pretty consistently too, I would say this theme keeps coming up because if we can tap into that in, you know, as our younger selves, that's the goal. I want to achieve that same type of, 
you know, I don't care what people think. You know, the cur- the courage that we talked about a couple episodes ago, that's the goal. Right. What is next for Cheryl? I've got a lot of great things. So I've got two solo shows coming up, one in New Hampshire this summer. The collection's done in my head. It's just not out on the canvas, but it will be. I've got one, a large show that will open January of next year here in Richmond. How do you have that booked so far in advance? Because sometimes the venues book out that far. Okay. Is how that goes. Um, the town that I live in, up in New Hampshire, has a street piano project. So I will be participating in another public art project. I will be decorating a piano, and I think we're going to paint it in swimming otters. And I cannot wait to see how that turns out because there's a family of otters that plays at the town dock. I would like to pick up some more corporate clients. I think that my art. Particularly what I'm producing here in Richmond lends itself well to office and public space down here. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely on my bucket list. And then at the lake, the two bodies of work are very different up there. People are all about the natural environment up there. And Mm -hmm. so I've got some targets. There's a new museum that celebrates the boat history of New Hampshire that's opening up in a couple summers. So we're in preliminary talks about an exhibit in their permanent exhibit space. So Cheryl, do you take any special requests? If somebody's interested in your work, where, where can they go to see your portfolio or when, where can they submit a request? So the easiest place to go is CherylShanahan.com or to message me through Instagram at artbycherylshanahan.com. I do consider commission requests. I don't say yes to everything. (laughs) I look at commissions as co-creations. So we both have to love it. So um, I'm most comfortable with waterscapes, landscapes, skyscapes, and I love dog portraits. I can't be near dogs because I'm really allergic, but I love painting them. So people can reach out through the website, through Instagram, we can have a communication about whether or not we're a good fit for each other, because I don't say yes to everybody. Um, she said yes to me. I have a special request. She might have been desperate. <laughs> I have a beautiful, large painting of our former Chickahominy River house view, and it's so beautiful. But we did work together on it. It was mm-hmm. totally in one direction, and you, thank God, fixed it in the right direction. It was. It was a really big stretch and I am so grateful for your belief in me at such an early age. Um, It was the first time I found myself in a color matching scenario. I mean, you were very clear in the beginning about what you wanted and then I presented you with some options and what I gave you the first time was 100% Wrong. It, it wasn't yeah, anything that you wanted, and but we collaborated together, and it's it beautiful. is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It is beautiful. So thank you for your belief in me. Um, do you have an Etsy account or Etsy page or Etsy? Do you do work? No. In fact, the most work I sell is through LinkedIn. My avatar of my ideal client is someone who has a job. People who have jobs are on LinkedIn. <laughs> That's where I get the most requests and the most sales. Good. It's amazing. That's awesome. So Cheryl came in and brought us some gifts. Thank you so much. I cannot wait to read the four agreements and you brought us some really cute goodies. I have a couple of ideas for you too that I'll probably run by you and hope that we can collaborate on something. I hope that we can and I hope that when my studio gets all grown up that I can outsource to a marketing genius like you. Oh, thank you. We would love that. (laughs) I would love that too. 
Well, thank you so much, Cheryl. Thanks so much for coming on. This is, you've just been so insightful. I wanted a lot of people to get to know you that maybe don't know you. So many people already know who Cheryl is. And so inspiring. So insightful. So thank you for your time. Ladies, thank you. I wish you every success. Thank you so much. We're so excited to bring you new episodes, special guests, and share real life advice to help you slay it.